Welcome to episode three of the History They Don't Teach podcast, where we talk about subversive history and uh, also YouTube now, I guess. I'm Michael Sisternino, my preferred pronouns are they and them, and I would like to apologize for the poor audio condition of the previous episode. I am once again joined by my wonderful co-hosts, Avi and Max. Hey. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So last episode, we talked about the revolution of Dula Oshlans and by extension, Murray Bookchin's Ideas Inspired, as well as the PKK's Dunkirk-style rescue of 35,000 Yazidis from genocide and enslavement by ISIS. And left With a little with... cameo from uh, America for a second there. Oh, they come back. They come back big in this episode and future episodes. So... Yeah, we left off with ISIS bearing down on Kobani, but before we get into the meat of episode three, I feel I may have given an unclear impression of what Stalinism is in episodes one and two, and I would like to correct that now. Stalinism, or Marxism-Leninism as its adherents call it, is it's just fake socialism. It is a gross and disingenuous distortion of Marx's ideology, which is meant to justify autocratic rule. While Marxist ideology foresaw a withering away of the state as the classless society became a reality, Stalin asserted that the state must instead become stronger before it could be eliminated. Stalinism held that the enemies of socialism within and without Russia would try to avert the final victory of the revolution. To face these efforts and protect the cause, it was argued, the state must be strong. It was, of course, a bunch of BS cooked up by Stalin to justify his own power. Now with that out of the way... Onto episode let me three. let me before we go ask you what will prevent the state from being a thing if not the state well you see examples you see examples of in in history a number of times of people deliberately destroying the state and preventing the reemergence of another one and rojava is one of those examples but you also saw it in uh the in Maknovia in Ukraine from 1917 to 1921 and Catalonia in 1936. But yeah, really, no, uh, pitchforks, a lot of fire, uh, nuclear bomb could destroy the state. Uh, you know, I think there are a lot of things that aren't the state that could destroy the state. I might have to disagree on that with that one. You know, even molasses caused, uh, caused to be fatal. So, Well, Definitely I'm, I'm asking what would keep the state destroyed. I suppose a nuclear bomb would do it. Well, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. when people typically think of anarchism, they typically think of just an uncontrolled mob, Molotov cocktails and all that sort of stuff. Nothing could really be further from the truth. Anarchists aren't against organizing society. They're merely against hierarchy in it. So you can have a government of sorts under anarchism. It just, it just wouldn't be hierarchical. Power would, instead of coming from the top down, flow from the bottom up, which is what we'll talk about in episode four spoiler alert. the problem comes when there are anarchists that don't believe in in that anarchy and just want the molotovs because it molotov cocktails because then there's a hierarchy to the ideology too uh we get into all of that in episode four <laughs> uh it it's this and we'll probably do more series on it later because when you're talking when you're talking about subversive history, you can't really get around the bottom line of getting rid of the state is good and we should do it. Anyway, that's enough Stalin talk for uh, for so this. We have, we have a quota of Stalin talk for every episode. So. The TLTL too long didn't listen. Is that Stalinism 
is a protection of the lack of state by the no. state? Stalinism, Stalinism says that if you go immediately to not having a state, that wouldn't work because uh, dumb reasons that we can see didn't actually happen in history, mainly the fact that like they'd get invaded or whatever. Never mind the fact that uh, anarchist societies in history, including one that the USSR crushed in Machnovia, proved fully capable of defending themselves. It's basically just an excuse for uh, keeping, keeping hierarchy in place, even after achieving what they call socialism, but okay, real so socialism. it's basically like the state needs to be there if we're going to get rid of the state. Yeah, it's it's stupid and exists only to justify like someone being in charge. Stalinism and real socialism have nothing in common. But anyway, on to the episode. So, ISIS was closing in on Kobane from three sides, uh, and uh, as you might be familiar if you've taken a look at the map. Uh, that fourth side is the border with Turkey. Now, you may also remember that Turkey considered the YPG and YPJ terrorists. So uh, as over 100,000 refugees pour across the border into Turkey, the same option isn't really there for, for the fighters in Kobane. They, they have their backs to the wall, effectively. So um, in fact... Turkey was probably hoping that ISIS would just wipe these wipe these Kurds off the map. They did not do that. So ISIS looked like they would succeed for a time. So by October, the territory held by the YPG in Kobani had compressed down to a few square miles. But they didn't surrender. A couple of things ended up being their saving grace here. One of the most important ones is that the U.S. was trying to find some proxies to fight ISIS for them in Syria, and they didn't really have a lot of options. They had tried training up some so-called moderate rebels, but that ended up re not really working. Most of the rebel groups were more interested in fighting Bashar al-Assad's regime than in fighting ISIS, and the CIA's attempt to fund proxies ended up costing them a few billion dollars to just get a few hundred guys trained and ready to go. So the YPG and friends are really the only people poised to fight ISIS in Syria, which may sound bad for them until you realize that it means the U.S. doesn't have any other options in terms of groups they could back against ISIS in Syria. You're saying it doesn't so work US like a clash of clans, where you just, you just hold down the button and then all of the troops spawn? I mean, that sucks. Well, which is a shame, because uh, Clash of Clans is, is pay to win, and America has the most money. War isn't pay to win. We're just the most patriotic, and that's why we win. <laughs> We're gonna make some deals with terrorists now. Well, yeah, the U.S. the U.S. is trying to throw money at the problem to make it go away, but the only people they could throw money at to get them to fight ISIS are the most radical socialist revolutionaries in the world. So the U.S. ends up finds itself supporting these guys with airstrikes. <gasps> uh. So, for reference as to what the most radical socialist revolutionaries in the world means, uh, here is a quote from Oshelon's book, Liberating Life, 
which was smuggled out of prison back in 2013. Uh, Avi, I would like you to read it uh, in the Borat voice, please. Of course. All right, let me get uh, um, uh, ready. <clears throat> this is my wife. My name is Borat. Kisses woman next to him. This is my sister. Okay. <clears throat> Indeed, to kill the dominant man is the fundamental principle of socialism. It is what killing power means. To kill the one-sided domination, the inequality and the intolerance. Moreover, it is to kill fascism, dictatorship and despotism. We should broaden this concept to include all these aspects. Yeah, Damn, so he's, he's going to have a really bad day when he finds out he's the dominant man in this group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when, when the YPG finally capture the capital of ISIS, Araka, they will raise a giant banner with this guy's face on it. That's... Uh, but... Uh, mild hypocrisy on the part of Abdullah Oshilan aside... These are the people the U.S. is supporting with airstrikes. And it kind of saves their asses. But it wasn't the only thing. So in addition, ISIS's artillery bombardments of Kobane had left the city a ruin. But counterintuitively, this reduced the maneuverability of ISIS's tanks and gave Kobane's defenders plenty of the strong points and places to hide that urban warfare is so infamous for. But equally, if not more important than the previous two points, was the steadfast refusal, or more accurately, inability, of Kobane's defenders to give in. They had been cut off from retreat by ISIS to the south, east, south, and west, and by Turkey in the north. They had nowhere to fall back to. Surrender was not an option, obviously, especially but not only for the female fighters of the YPJ. At a time when every piece of ammunition was precious, many desperate revolutionaries would carry one spare bullet mounted atop their gun for use on themselves should they be cut off with no hope of escape. Damn, I kind of thought you said this episode was going to be funny. Well, it funny gets that bullet. later, but for now, it's, it's honestly more inspiring than funny because one of the most celebrated martyrs of Rojava's revolution, Shahid Arin Mir Khan, would go a bit further than that. So, inspiring. <laughs> if you're ever a college student and you really need to get work done, you're cramming. Just remember, look down at that one bullet mounted atop <laughs> your gun. <laughs> disclaimer: in college debt. Disclaimer: little, little mental mori. Disclaimer: for, uh, for studying Don't... hard. Disclaimer. Arin Mirkan is fucking awesome, but you shouldn't try to be like her, for reasons that will become obvious soon. So, Arin Mirkan was a commander in the YPJ, uh, the YPG's all-female wing, and as ISIS pushed over the strategic Mishtanor Hill with tanks commandeered from the blood-soaked regime of Bashar al-Assad, Mirkan, cut off from any escape, in the words of her friend, quote-unquote, put a lot of grenades on her chest and snuck under a tank and exploded herself. Hey, man, that kind of sounds like a suicide bombing. Oh, yes, it does. Uh, it would be safe to say that ISIS was out of their league in this regard. See, back in the 90s, the PKK had 
made extensive use of suicide bombers, especially female suicide bombers. And while they had for the most part stopped doing it, it's it would be fair to say, I guess, that the institutional memory remained, especially especially the fact that doing such was encouraged and mythologized, giving the status of a goddess of freedom to the women who killed themselves this way. Like the PKK hadn't like been doing this since the 90s, but like in this situation, it's worth mentioning, not least because what ISIS was most known for, suicide bombings, they were kind of outdone by they were outdone by people who they described as atheists and commies, who were also a lot of them describing themselves as atheists and commies, but <laughs> so, so so like when she jumped under the tank instead of saying God is great, she was like the disproportionality that is being solved by communism and the shared wealth is great. <laughs> Probably something more along the lines of Herbiji Rojava, Herbiji Oshalan, or something like that, but yeah. <laughs> so it would take months, as well as the sacrifice of hundreds of lives, but by the end of January in 2015, ISIS had been driven out of the rubble of Kobane. And when they were, the world was watching. So, quote-unquote, the Kurds became the darling of Western media. This, this isn't to say that they got accurate coverage. Most mainstream outlets did that thing which we warned against doing back in episode one and just lumped all the Kurds together, making barely any distinction between the Kurdistan regional government in Iraq, whose cartoonishly evil appeasement of ISIS we covered last episode, and the libertarian socialist revolutionaries in Rojava. Of yeah, course... Yeah, well, to... American media's credit, it's better when they than when they just lump the entire Middle East together. Yeah, I suppose I suppose that's fair. Breaking news: the Middle East is at it again. <laughs> uh, when will they ever learn? Back to you in the studio. Now, in leftist media circles, however, such as those patronized by yours truly, words were not as minced as to what was going on here. It was genuine socialist revolution. So coverage began to trickle out, not just of Rojava's war against ISIS, but of Abdullah Oshlan's ideas, which inspired the revolution, and what they had done to society in the liberated territory. Now, we talked about Oshlan's ideas earlier in this episode and back in episode one, and we're going to do a deep dive into how his ideology of democratic confederalism functioned in practice next episode. But just for now, I want you to think about what it means for the ideas which we were talking about earlier to be implemented on a population of millions. It was a total remaking of society. The new world of socialism, for the first time, poking through the shell of the old, with no, nothing really to compare it to except for what George Orwell saw in homage to Catalonia all the way back in 1936. Now, I apologize to our listeners who have not read Homage to Catalonia, but I bring this up because just like the Catalan Revolution back in 1936, people from across the world would flock to the cause of defending this revolution from the fascists who would see it wiped from the earth. Now, the people, now these international volunteers, fell broadly into two categories. So, first, you had the committed revolutionaries, 
these guys, girls, and non-binary people were mostly anarchists and communists. They saw the revolution for what it was, something worth fighting for and perhaps dying for. According to the Rolling Stone magazine, one of these was Karim, uh, uh, apologies for mispronouncing this name in advance, Karim Franceschi, a bearded 27-year-old Italian who was among the first leftists in Rojava. In September 2014, uh, when only the city of Kobane held out and ISIS had sent its most hardened foreign fighters to take it, the YPG's heroic defense brought fame to the international press. Uh, in October 2014, Franceschi and a cohort of Italian communists met with Kobani officials in exile with the idea of volunteering in some kind of medical capacity. They were so desperate, Franceschi recalled. They didn't give a shit about medicine. They wanted fighters. I couldn't say no. Now, many of these internationalists became minor celebrities of sorts on the radical leftist corners of the internet. And of these, by far the most prominent was a certain Brace Belden, uh, a former heroin addict who started reading Lenin in rehab and eventually, once he had recovered, made up his mind to go to Syria and join the revolution. So, according to a Rolling Stone article, he has since amassed 19,000 followers under the handle Piss Pig Grandad, puzzling the internet with a combination of leftist, leftist invective and scurrilous bro humor. Tweets like, Heading to the Kandil Mountains to lecture the PKK about entitlement reform are followed by the dude with the lamb bailed, so now we're fucked for dinner. You say piss pig granddad? Dude, yes. I would love to be the, the ISIS fighter. <laughs> well, no, I would not love to be the ISIS fighter who has to, who has to uh, have, uh, have in their KIA report that they got killed by piss pig granddad. <laughs> It's like it's there like straight are... out of straight out of like Xbox. A <laughs> <laughs> kill feed is just like big, big granddad gets like a would... quad for kill, <laughs> and like starts <laughs> teabagging. This guy was fucking live tweeting the Battle of Raqqa. Like, really? Oh my god. Yeah. Hey guys, today we're going to be in the Battle of Raqqa. I know I've been seeing it in the comments. You guys have wanted to see live streams. Today is going to be the 10 kill challenge. I am going for a really good KDA today. Oh, it's too good. <laughs> Why does this person it exist? Gets better. <laughs> It gets much better. So this brings us to Stefan Bertram Lee. So Bertram Lee was a non-binary internet anarchist from Britain who discovers who discovered Rojava's revolution and the philosophy of Abdullah Oshlad. Where else but on Wikipedia? After the siege of Kobane, Lee finally made up their mind to go to Rojava and join the revolution. So. Lee joined a Turkish communist militia allied to the PYD. Unfortunately for Lee, it turned out that they weren't so very good at this whole war thing. They, they just weren't good at fighting. But this did not, however, stop Lee from contributing to the revolution. According to popular leftist magazine, Jacobin, Bertram Lee joined a new front in the Syrian civil war, one on which they already had years of experience making memes oh my god really would you like to see some of said memes yeah please i've never wanted any more any, blah, 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 anything more in my you've heard life. of the war front you've heard of the home front 
but have you heard of the meme front? You always yeah. feel like, I, like, like the, the, the war on Instagram, like the Reddit 4chan wars on whatever, but this is actual like war meme. Oh, ISIS? ISIS, war was, ISIS. ISIS was also famous for like their online presence and their propaganda on like social media, but I think it's fair to say that just with jumping under a tank with a bunch of grenades, the YPG had them beat on this front too. So Do, will, I, we, will we have the pictures for them on our website? Yes, yes, we absolutely okay, nice. will. Uh, okay. If we don't, if we don't forget, if we do forget to um, write this down somewhere, and you're listening to this, and you don't know our website, it's the history they don't teach with no apostrophe dot wordpress dot com. Unless that changes, that's where you'll go, and hopefully you'll see the images we are looking at. So no subscription fee, no nothing. You can just get on there for no free. Yes. No sign up, just local hot images of flags with AK 47s. Okay. We're no not sign- like, we're not like bigging these corporate sponsors or whatever. We're free agents. We're bringing you only the facts. I, know, I love the, the, how other people are spending their summer versus me because it's like one of those relatable memes that you'd see on like, I don't know, on like Instagram or something. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> This person's summer is so awesome. They have AK-47s, and they're, like, in masks. It looks so <laughs> tropical. Oh, my God. I have to say, I do not give the first meme high marks. Like, the font's all wrong. There's not yeah. even a format, no template, it's just no black nothing. black and white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all, it's all weird. Then, but then they hit you with the with the bay. What them fingers do? <laughs> Me. Yes. It's like, oh my god! I can picture them making like like a one finger, two finger, three finger meme, but it's like different flags instead of just the woman. Oh my yeah. god! If they just deep fried this first meme, very dank. God. Yes. Yes. These deep fried. <laughs> it's so. It's see like deep frying stuff is usually or, or like or like base boosting it or any any of the like distortion effects. If it's an edgy topic, it makes it more edgy. That would just it would just be a such such a good use of the deep fry <laughs> because it's just so me and the boys weird. looking for ISIS at three a.m. It's got the like the <laughs> water gun emoji. <laughs> oh so tragically, this meme page, dank memes for democratic confederalist dreams was taken down from Facebook. No! <laughs> God, why? Oh, no. Uh, now, these... <laughs> these are... These are only a fraction of all the memes that Bertram Lee was posting, and we'll have the rest on the website, but... <laughs> but Sorry, guys, I just had to cry about that in my bed for a second. Oh. It's fine. We're all we all feel I know. this pain. I know it's fine. It's just it's not gonna be the same. Okay, continue. So uh believe it or not, the meme front of the war against ISIS is not inherently the craziest funniest part of this whole thing. Oh no, it gets better. This brings us to the second type of volunteers. 
Uh, so we talked about the the radical anarchists and communists who believe in the cause and see themselves as the second coming of the international brigadistas from the Spanish Civil War. And while these sorts of people make up most of the international volunteers currently fighting in Rojava, it wasn't always that way. So you'll recall that mainstream media coverage of the Kurds wasn't exactly thorough and generally didn't put a lot of focus on what they were fighting for. If you were watching CNN or Fox News or MSNBC, you probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference between Syrian and Iraqi Kurds, and you'd probably think that beating ISIS was the full extent of their ambitions. Now add to this the fact that the YPG and their allies in Syria were for the most part the only big group fighting ISIS that would accept foreign volunteers at the time. Because remember, they were fighting a war of annihilation for their very survival, and they they couldn't really be picky about who was going to go and fight for them. So barring, like, actual neo-Nazis and shit, they were open to pretty much anyone who wanted to join them. <laughs> so can you see where this is going? I feel like they're going to assemble a ragtag group of misfits to try to save the orphanage in a rock band concert with a prize pool of $3,000 in a scrappy summer movie. I think there was a Middle Eastern country that trained bomb-sniffing dolphins. So that's kind of where my <laughs> expectations are at. Flipper, unfortunately, yes. unfortunately, those bombs. Was, yes, sir. It was a lot less awesome. <laughs> Then either of those things, unfortunately, it actually led to a lot of the to a lot of conservative Christians from the U.S., U.K., Australia, and elsewhere volunteering to fight for the secular, radically libertarian socialist feminist YPG. Now, of course, many of them did not know that the YPG were, in their own words, damned Reds until. They had volunteered to join. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> hey guys, just join this new uh new uh group. Hey, what's that flag over there? What's that what's that mean? So you'd think you'd think that does, if that, you were... does that rainbow flag mean something different over here? Uh, oh, that that brings us to another one of the rather iconic images. I would like you to describe this one too. Oh my god, what? <laughs> this, is, this is like This is my new um This is my new um wallpaper. Oh yeah. Like <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> uh, so this image Dude, like 99% of this episode is just not even us talking. It's just us laughing at images. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, so this is so, literally like, like an xbox like call of duty match people yes. are using slurs they're like their names are weird there's like memes it's so good absolutely and like keep in mind like uh the, uh the the picture for the listeners who aren't aware is uh a bunch of uh anarchists holding up pride flags, and a banner that sell, says, these F-slurs kill fascists. <laughs> so, so keep in mind, this is, this is this, the same group that, like, a lot of these Christian conservatives from the West were, 
going to join without knowing that this is what they were like. So you'd think if you were going halfway across the world to fight in the Syrian civil war, you'd do a little background research, you know, maybe look up the group you volunteered to go fight for and possibly die with on My Wikipedia dude, or sometimes, sometimes you're just joining to quick match and you just don't know what kind of team you're going to be getting on. Randoms, randoms always just be like that, you know? You never know what you're going to get. I mean, at least, at least this isn't as crazy as, like, those, those Armenian gang members from LA who wound up fighting for the Syrian dictator, but not by much. So, to, to just put this in perspective, how fucking stupid this was, uh, according to a site called Middle East Eye, uh, according to foreign fighters quoted by the APF, uh, an exodus is currently underway of U.S. and other Western volunteers from the YPG due to their left-wing stance, with one U.S. Army veteran referred to as Scott claiming he decided not to join after finding out they were a bunch of damn reds. I mean, you never know a rank there someone's going to be if they're unranked. They could be smart. Yeah, well, platter higher, no red. No I mean, red. if these people had looked it up, they would have known that the YPG didn't have ranks. <laughs> this is what, this is what Boy, being an... <laughs> Dude, it's all quick play. Oh, no. My God. Yeah, so, uh, so Scott at least did his background research and found out that they were anarchists and communists before he joined, but a bunch of guys probably went to all the trouble of contacting shady Facebook groups and stuff, flying to Iraq, getting a safe house, being smuggled across the Tigris River at midnight by the Kurdistan Workers' Party, only to find out you'd gotten yourself into, uh... Once you start ideological training and start hearing lectures from Abdullah Oshalan's books about how capitalist modernity is inherently self-destructive and unsustainable and deconstructing the power of the institutionalized dominant male and stuff. <laughs> I think there's enough content for the next three episodes, but uh, yeah. fit it into one. Uh, like... So are we going to call it a day there? I think yeah. we're going to call it a day there. Uh, by the All way... Right. I'm glad we had a had a nice comedic episode before we go back to talking with the child soldiers. Because I couldn't find, like, a lot of information on, like, those Christians who joined the YPG. Like, I know that, like, one of them just, that some of them just leaned into it, like, kept with them, like... <laughs> but uh, most of them, most of them, uh, I think... A lot of them are actually in Iraq with a Christian Iraqi militia now, but, like, I think something else we should kind of think about is that ISIS put a $150,000 bounty for the capture or killing of Western volunteers fighting for the YPG. <laughs> so I think that, like, it's quite amusing if kind of depressing to imagine just some random, some random guy who, like, found out that he had joined a anarchist communist revolution and then and then like just got captured by isis and uh oops i guess that's what happens when you implement a bounty system in your game 
devs are gonna have to balance that one out. Yeah, yeah. it can ruin the economy. Way too much money, way too little effort. I don't I don't like it. Complain on Reddit, folks. Complain on Reddit. Uh so join us, join us next week as we talk about the new society that was created in Rojava and why it's so unique and really get deep into the history and get deep into the philosophy of Bookchin and Oshalon. So if you enjoyed, if you enjoyed Avi's Borat voice reading of um, an excerpt from Liberating Life, tune in next week or whenever we get the episode out because more where that came from. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in whenever we decide not to be lazy. And that's a fact. All right, thanks for listening. Ciao.